Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals, one of the most watched and listened to podcasts. I'm Randall Carlisle, along with my co-host Rachel Santizo. And we will introduce our guest in just a second. The whole point of Odyssey House Journals is to uh, examine the disease we know is addiction and how complicated and confusing it is and hopefully shed some light on it and then also talk about the possibility of recovery and success as you're working to overcome that addiction. Uh, and really addiction is something that nobody's explained very well and we're all doing research on it and everything still. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, nobody has an answer saying this is how we solve addiction. I would definitely agree. I mean, how can you explain it? It's so complex and everybody's story is so different. So I don't really know that you can explain it, but the more that we share our stories, the more that we can try to understand it. Here's one thing I can't explain, and I bet you can't either, and Molly can't either. Uh, the, the latest uh, facts that Matt, our producer and videographer, uh, gave us shows. It shows where people are listening and watching to us. Yeah. And would you believe we have more people watching and listening to us in New York City than we do in Kaysville, Utah? Wow. An interesting fact. Yeah, that's a good fun fact. Now, I like that. <laughs> now, a statistician might argue, well, there's, what, 20 million people in New York City and maybe only 100,000 in Kaysville. So that could explain why there's such a discrepancy. Well, and we've had some stories lately um, from New York City, and so I, th I think it's a great way to have some understanding because New York City is a lot bigger. Yes. And so I actually think that's quite incredible. So if you're watching from the Big Apple, hello and welcome today. Now... Do you want to introduce our guest? Oh, I would love to. So today we have a very special guest. Um, she's very special to me, and this is Molly Wimpy. And I can't wait for her to explain her story and um, where she's come from and where she's at today. And so without further ado, this courageous woman, Molly. Hello. We, uh, we examine the good, the bad, and the ugly on this. And yeah. so maybe, uh, maybe we should close with the good and start with the ugly or bad. What uh, Can you maybe go into a little of your past? Sure. I mean, you know, I started out with the typical, well, I don't know if it's typical to start out with drugs, you know, but that's how it started out for me. I was just young, smoking weed, and mm -hmm. started out with some acid. At what age? 15. Okay. And then I was introduced to meth at like 16. Mm -hmm. Me and my best friend got into it, and then our parents caught us actually on my 17th birthday, and somehow we convinced our moms, like, well, you should let us move to Colorado, and we can get clean. And, like, they let us. We had a friend out there, and it worked. <laughs> we got clean out in Colorado. Did you go to a, a rehab place, or you just no, moved there? No, we just moved there. We had a friend out there, and I can't say we got clean. We got off meth. But we continued to, like, smoke weed and drink, and, you know, we partied out there. But, you know, we feel like we got clean because we got off meth, right. you know. What was the allure of meth at that age? It was a party drug, you know. You could just stay up for days and party. I feel like that was probably the, the attraction. 
Okay, so you so you kept partying mm-hmm. in Colorado, right? Uh, but you stopped meth, right? And then what happened? So I mean, we stayed out there for probably a year, and then Utah always—I don't know what it is—but Utah always brings you back. So we came back. Come back to Utah. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I just continued smoking weed, working in coffee shops for years, you know, I would say 10 years just smoking weed and drinking coffee and like the occasional pill popping and cocaine. And then probably when I was 27, our dealer couldn't get cocaine and he was like, well, I have some heroin. And it was like, well, I would never do heroin, you know, but I don't know why it was just like, Sure, we'll try heroin. And it made me so sick. And, but I wanted more. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. The addictive quality of it. Yeah. Did you, did you inject it or smoke it or snort it or what? The first time we smoked it, and it was so gross. But, like, yeah, I just wanted more. And it was quick. It just grabbed me quick. And After one time? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. So, um, yeah, I was hooked. and But I was kind of functional. Like, I kept my job. I continued working at the coffee shop. And then it was like I wanted to do the whole geographical move again, you know. So (laughs) I moved to Austin, Texas, because I was like, I need to get off heroin. And... (laughs) Why, why did you pick Austin? Because my friend was moving there. So I was like, I'm going to tag along. Let's okay. let's go to Austin. So I moved there, and my downstairs neighbor was a heroin dealer. <laughs> Convenient. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was the same old thing out there. Just continued using and stayed out there for a year. And then Utah was calling, and I just came back. Come back again. Right. (laughs) I have a question. When you were introduced to heroin, were you also introduced to new people? Because as new drugs were introduced, were there new people as well? Or did you stay around the same crowd? Um, It was definitely, like, one girl. It was a coworker at the coffee shop. Like, she was, like, my main buddy. But, sure, like, other people would trickle in and out. Okay. You know, like, the people you get it from... And, but it was always definitely, like, one girl, like, my main buddy. Yeah. Like, the one that, when I came back from Austin, like, obviously, I wasn't going to get a job. You know, that's when I started committing crimes Mm. and, like, doing the terrible things, like, stealing from my family, Mm. you know. And, um... Describe that for, let me, let me stop you for, I facilitate a family support group, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's uh, primarily parents of adult addicts, and they talk about that all the time, that their kids come back and steal from them to get money to, uh, to buy more drugs. And what goes through your head at that point? I mean, these are the people that raised you, and you're and you're and you're stealing from them. Right. What What were you thinking at the time? Myself. You know, it. You don't consider them. 
and all you consider is like that next fix. You don't consider like the history of like that jewelry you're stealing, you know? I'm a nervous crier. That's don't all judge right. me. That's all right. So like, you know, I stole that wedding ring from my mom's my mom and dad's marriage, you know, from like they were divorced like, you know, 30 years ago, whatever and it's still sentimental value. Right. Right. I stole everything, you know. You don't consider that. It doesn't matter. I stole or I didn't steal. I sold that jewelry that was left to me when my dad passed away, you know. It didn't matter to me. It was gold. It, I could have, you know, I got money for it. So you just, you don't consider it. See, a person who's not an addict can't understand your state of mind at that point. Right. Can you sort of explain? I mean, you sort of did. It's, you know, the, your parents' sentimental value, all that's sort of in the background. But in the foreground, it's buying more drugs. Right. It's buying more drugs and then, like, you, you can't explain it. There's, there's no explanation for it. But you don't go through the, pro the thought process that, that somebody who's sober would think about saying, oh, my God, these are my parents. Oh, my God, this ring has sentimental value or anything like that. Yeah, you don't play that tape through at all. Huh. There's, there's no tape to be played. It's just, it's that next high. I'm, and I'm not criticizing you. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Right. Rachel's in recovery, and we both did stuff that we're not proud of, too. So, right. You know, and you don't ever think about the consequences. No. Even, even for, like, an alcoholic, you know, a lot of times, I mean, when, you, when, when I would go out to a bar, I'd say, if I drink too much, I'm not going to drive. But then after you get, after you're high, you say, I'm okay to drive. You know, yeah. And you're... Logic goes out the window. Yeah. Wow. What do you, what did you, uh, just out of curiosity, like if you have a wedding ring or something like that, where do you, where do you go to get the money? Just a pawn shop, you know, and then it makes it really easy to get caught. Be because? Because, well, for instance, my mom, she is not an enabler. She wants to know where that stuff is, so she calls the cops and... She's not stupid. She knows it's going to go to a pawn shop. And she pressed charges. And I don't hate her for that, you know. That because of her, because of her, like, putting me out on the streets, pressing those charges, like, that's what saved my life in the end, you know. Actually, there's a, a connection to you. You know my stepdad. My mom came up to you when I was in jail. Um, you know my stepdad through Craig Worth, Steve Anderson. Yeah. And um, my mom came up to you at a public function and said, my daughter's in jail. She's addicted to heroin. She needs to get into Odyssey House. And, like, you gave her the, the card and told her the process of how to get me in. So one of the things in... in I'm glad I was part of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we deal with in this family support group is we talk about enabling, and it's the, but I love my daughter, and I couldn't ever put her out on the street or 
or call the cops on her. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we go back and forth about whether that's, whether calling the cops is an act of love or, or not calling the cops is an act of love. I mean, how would you respond to that? I say it is because if you're not, it's just, in the end, it's killing them slowly. And if, if you are, it's, to me, it's getting them the help they need. It's putting them in jail. It's getting them closer to a program. It sucks. They have to go through it, you know. But it's what helps me in the end. She, she had to do it a few times, yeah. <laughs> you know. But the addicts are slow. That's learners, yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I was going to ask is how many times did you have to go to jail? And then what, what was that transition for you? And then how did you eventually get the choose or, or surrender to get to the point where you did get the help that you needed? Um, I'm not sure how many times I had to go to jail. And that, like, I went through CATS, and then after that I had gone. Right after that I went into a different program. And I had stayed clean for, I think, like, a year. And then I was out on the run again for, not on the run, but, you know, I was out again for, I think, two years. And my mom kept saying, you need to go to Odyssey House, you need to go to Odyssey House. And I was like... I know I do, I know I do, but not until I get caught. Like, to <laughs> of me, course, right? <laughs> to me, I was okay, like, because I was off the streets, like, in a motel, you know, I was, like, maintaining, right. you know. I, I had money in my pocket every day because of the crimes I was committing, you know. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was okay because I wasn't stealing from people anymore, you know. I was stealing from stores. Mm -hmm. and I finally got caught, and then I went to jail, and that's when I finally called my mom, like, okay, I'm ready to go to Odyssey. <laughs> and that's when she, you know, did what she had to do to pull some strings, get me into Odyssey. I got a couple counties and a couple judges to agree to let me go to Odyssey, and that's how I got there. What was that surrendering point for you? Because you had you had tried different different times before, right? And so what was that surrendering point? Like, how did you know you were finally ready? I knew that I was finally ready because um, my son was with his dad. And it was just like, it's not a very nurturing environment over there. Mm -hmm. And... I knew he needed me and like I needed him, you know. And I'm just I was just like, what are you doing? You know, and I looked at my mom and like I was like, if she could do the single mom thing with three kids, like, why can't I just do it with one kid? Like, I was just ready to do it. And I think what did it was just like some sober time in jail and it needed to be done, so I just did it. So you went to Odyssey House. Yeah. And how was that? Let's say, so you went to Odyssey House. What was the most beneficial thing, that aha moment that you were like, okay? That aha moment. If there was one. Yeah. I was a terrible client. I'm not going to lie. Okay. okay. Like, 
I had intervention after intervention after intervention. And um, they tried with me. But, like, I would say that aha moment was, like, um, they taught me a lot. I learned a lot. A lot of the things I was like, why are they doing this? And then, like, I'd be like, oh, okay, like, this is why they were doing it. Like, I finally would understand why they would do some of the things they were doing. But I would say the biggest thing I learned was, like, the difference between, like, guilt and shame. Like, okay, I'm guilty. I did these terrible things, but, like, I don't have to be ashamed of it anymore. Mm. You know? And... The past is the past. Right. Mm. And, um... Just, like, learning from my peers, too. And now it's crazy because now I work next to a lot of the people who were you know, teaching me, like my peer support people. What do you mean? Like Cindy. Well, so you so you went through Odyssey, so you're saying now you work at Odyssey. Oh, right. So now I get to work at Odyssey, and you're my boss, <laughs> which is the coolest thing because you're just like such a powerful, inspirational woman. And Thank you. I get to meet with you every Tuesday morning. It's true. It's true. We do. We started the Rachel Santizo fan club. So that's why. Basically. It's true. We do meet. You know, a lot of people, we we brag about the fact that we're a therapeutic community. Mm -hmm. And that one of the reasons we're successful is because we have people like all of us working in the program because we've been there, done that. Right. Explain how that works. Because as opposed to having... An outsider who maybe studied addiction but wasn't in addiction, why it sometimes works better to have somebody who's recovering than somebody who just studied the issue. Why does that why why did that make a difference to you, like when you were in the Odyssey program, to know that somebody like Rachel was out on the streets running and gunning like you were? Um because she's been where I've been, like we can relate. And she can teach me what she's what she knows, you know. I, I just think it's important that people understand. Yeah. A lot of people hear that. Well, we hire people with criminal records and right. uh, and who have been drug addicts and have been out on the street, and that can't be good for my kid to go into that program because with a bunch of other mm -hmm. addicts. Right. T tell me why that's. Faulty thinking. It's faulty thinking because when you have a background, you think you're not going to get a job. It's hard to get a job when you have a background. But when you have the opportunity to go work with other people like you and show them that, like, it's possible to get clean and, you know, get a job and get a good job and you know, just show them that it's possible to, like, get off the streets and live a better life and be, like, a part of society. That's It's just a cool opportunity. Describe the difference in your personal life now in recovery as opposed to in addiction. Now it's not like I 
I don't have to wake up every morning and, you know, go to the mall and steal just to survive. Now I get to wake up every morning and go hang out with clients and, you know, show them what it's like to be sober. Now I get to wake up and hang out with my son and now I get to wake up and be a part of my family's life, which is crazy. Like, I never thought that would be possible after the things I did to them, you know, because I did some terrible things. So it's just crazy that, like, forgiveness is possible, especially mm-hmm. after the things I did to them, you know. Mm-hmm. You never think that, like, I don't know. It's just crazy that after doing such horrible things and it's cool that second, third, and seventh and eighth chances are, <laughs> are possible. What, so. uh, in, in terms of your personal happiness, how would you describe the difference? Oh, it's, it's like black and white. Like, I love to laugh. And it's just so cool. I, I get a laugh every day, and I laugh so much. I have the best relationship with my sister. I talk to her on the phone every day, and we just... We laugh so much. We have tons of inside jokes. And the difference between then and now is just, like, happiness, period. Like, I find humor in everything. It, it really doesn't matter what it is. I can make a joke out of pretty much anything. Were you happy when you were addicted to heroin, when you were high on heroin? No. Well, like, it was like a false sense of happiness, you know? Mm-hmm. You like to think you were happy, but no, like looking back, it was just like miserable because you were always just like chasing something, you know? It was just like a constant struggle. There was, no, there was no happiness in it. And you were always like surrounded by like dirtiness, someone always trying to get something from you. Mm -hmm. Always, no, there was just always darkness around you. Mm -hmm. You, uh... Do you share these stories with with our clients? Um, I mean, sometimes. I don't like to... Sometimes. I mean, I feel like we all kind of share... Or we all kind of have that same history. I try to, like, share my present now. You know, like, what's going on now instead of, like, you know, we all know what happened in our past, you know. They, we don't need to really go back there because, I don't know, it's easy to get into, like, that criminal pride, you know. I did so, this. And yeah, I did yeah, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I was tougher than you were. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. So, I don't know, I kind of try to just stay, like, you know, like, let's stay in the present. One of the, one of the things the... Uh, relatives of addicted loved ones ask, can anybody recover? What do you think? Yeah, I think anybody can recover. Like, especially if I can do it, anybody can, for sure. I was, you know, I was using drugs for almost 20 years. So I think that it's definitely possible for anybody to do it. 
I was a functional alcoholic for 40 years. Right. And now I'm going on. Rachel and I have similar birthdays. We're, we we're going on 10 years this yeah. year. Oh, cool. Almost wow. a decade together. That's a long time. And I you know, know, I never thought back then that there's any any way that I could go for more than a couple of days yeah. without drinking. Or how about you using? I mean, that, that scared the hell out of me to think that I can't. I really shouldn't ever do that again because if I have one drink, I'll have a hundred. I would watch people celebrate um, sobriety dates, and I I didn't think that that could be me. I think the more challenging celebration was thinking that I could be a mom. I, <laughs> there was no way. I was like, how am I going to pay bills? How am I going to pay for their stuff? I definitely I did not think that I could be a mom. I didn't know how I was going to do it or if I was capable of doing it. That that scared me more. Than anything. Tell us about your son. Oh, he's so cool. Mm-hmm. The coolest. He, yeah. <laughs> well, you met him? Well, we have a relationship. We write notes, kind of, and relay messages, but he's G-money to me. So, yeah, we have a relationship. We've never met in person, okay. though. Yeah. So, go ahead. He's, I mean, he's hard to describe. He's just, like, so kind-hearted. He's so brave. Like, mm-hmm. he is, like, the He's just, like, lived through so much adversity, you know. He'll be 11 on Martin Luther King Day. Um, Yeah. He just got accepted into the gifted and talented classes. Wow. Yes. He's just, like, so into science. Um, He, I just, he's just so brave, you know. He's just lived a tough little life, like, he was through his first raid when he was two years old. You know what I mean? I've, I've put him through a lot. And I'm just really lucky to have him in my life. He's, he's just the coolest. He obviously was aware of your addiction. Yeah. What is, what is, do you guys ever talk about it? Um, not really because... I don't think he wants to talk about it because he lives with his dad full time. And I think his, I don't want to like talk bad about his dad, especially never in front of him. But I don't think that his dad has said very nice stuff about it. So I just like to show him through my actions. And I know that when he's older, the truth will just come out. So... When he asks questions, I'll definitely answer them. But I don't feel like I need to bring it up until until he's ready to, until he wants to know. What? What? How would you respond if he said, "Mommy, didn't didn't you love me? I mean, why were you doing all that stuff and neglecting me? What? How would you, how would you answer that?" Um. I think that there's no question about it that I love him. He knows, like, we have this crazy bond, like, we just adore each other, you know? And I think that he knows that I love him because I always made sure he was safe. Like, if I wasn't in a safe environment, I would bring him to my mom. Except for the time that, you know, we were in that raid. I was, you know, I was I was getting high, and it was it just wasn't good. But after after that, I I let my mom take him because I just I wasn't in a good place. So I think, yeah, I would let him. He 
there's never a question that I didn't love him. And I think that he's totally aware of it. There was a time where I didn't see him for two years. And when I did see him, um, it was like that never even happened, you know? Mm. And yeah, there, I don't think that he would ever even question that. So let's, let's close. We only have about a minute left. Let's, let's close this with you telling everybody watching about recovery. What would you say about recovery? I would say that it's worth it. It's hard to finally get there, but it's worth the fight. And um, definitely, if you know someone who needs to get into it, you, you know, you can't really push them, but just help them get there if they ask for help and just love them through it. You know, like my mom did, she supported me through it. If I wasn't ready for it, she wouldn't enable me. That's, that's all I can really say. Any final thoughts? Oh man, I I'm truly honored because I get to work next to her yeah, every day, you. and so yeah. yeah, I'm a lucky girl. So I just I love them more that the how honest and real and raw we can be when it comes to our children and and our stories. And so I'm just incredibly thankful for you coming on and being so open and honest about G Money and your story. So just thank you for being you. Thank you. One of the things we learn in Odyssey is to share our, our mm -hmm. feelings and our thoughts and to be honest about stuff. And you've done that today. And, and I think anybody watching would understand that it's really hard to just sit down and mm -hmm. talk about this kind of stuff. Right. But the important, I think one of the, your aha moment, I think is one of the most important things that you pointed out today that to get rid of the shame, you know, yeah, it's your history. It's all of our history, right. you know, but, but there's hope for the future. Right. Right. Always. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals.